This is David Bateson, the voice of Agent 47, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 97 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, August 29th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we'll be recapping the latest Xbox news to come out of Gamescom and opening night live, including the much-talked-about Halo Infinite release date. After that, we'll welcome members of Ronimo Games on to discuss their latest release, Blightbound. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse. As they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem, and as I am wanting to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, there is a bevy of names to whom I am giving thanks to Golden Gamer Graham, Hassan Abu Zaid, M- Dr. Mo Kwama, goodness gracious, Mr. Leonidas, and HR Bomber. Jordan, you're in there somewhere as well. These guys are part of uh, the Season Gaming community, and they have been livening up my day with a group chat that has just been full of laughs, good gaming takes, and plenty more thoughts to go around. I have thoroughly enjoyed my time with these guys, and in a very stressful opening week of school, I haven't participated much in the chats, but I've been looking at them, and they've helped me stay up to date on a lot of the gaming news, some of which I'll be talking about here. So gentlemen, shout out to you guys. I much appreciate you. I know you're members of the Season Gaming community, and that's how we came to meet, but I am very glad that we are part of the same community now, so cheers to you guys. Let's get to some news, guys. Well, Gamescom and Opening Night Live both brought with them plenty of Xbox-relevant news. There's a lot of things to break down, including the Halo Infinite release date, uh, and a lot of takes to be had here, of course. Now, interestingly, the Xbox Gamecom showcase took place before Opening Night Live, much to its own disservice. In fact, we have a question uh, from Court Lalonde about that exact thing. But if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about... The Xbox Gamecom stream was very similar to the E3 Extended Showcase hosted by Paris Lilly, in that this showcase that Xbox recently had was also hosted by Paris Lilly and followed a very similar format. And it wasn't well received this time, whereas it was last time. But in large part, I don't think that's because they did a bad job with it. In fact, I think it had more to do with the timing and perhaps the pacing. Paris Lilly again did a very good job in balancing excitement for different trailers that he was showing, games he was discussing, and also developers that he was interviewing. I thought that was very well done. That said, some of the pacing felt rather off because many people were tuning into this as their first Gamescom experience uh, when much of that excitement and the bigger announcements were actually included in Opening Night Live, which despite its name, took place after the Gamescom stream. And Court Lalonde did ask, and as did several people, would this Xbox showcase have benefited from having their announcements take place uh, on a different time, saying last week before the showcase or maybe after opening night live? And, And to Court's question and more the spirit of his question, 
if this showcase that Xbox put together had been dropped after opening night live and some of the announcements that came with that, I think people would have been much higher on it. Xbox has had a lot of PR wins in the last two years, but cracks in the armor are beginning to show. And this most recent showcase had a lot of pacing issues that people simply were not ready for. The show was slowed down by deep dives into games like Wasteland, which, while very impressive and included on Game Pass, etc., uh, are very niche titles, and I'm not sure that was best served in the first showcase of Gamescom for Xbox, when indeed it would have been really cool to have you know a, a showcase extended after opening night live, which included plenty of big announcements. Uh, in fact, contrary to the order in which Gamescom stream and then opening night live took place, I'm going to flip it and discuss opening night live because I believe that's where some of the bigger news for Xbox took place, and I think that's where a lot of the hype was uh, for the Xbox community. And, and if I am incorrect in that, please, of course, reach out. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, maybe I'm in error on that one, but for my money, uh, I thought opening Night Live was far more interesting despite it being multi-platform focused. Uh, and I say that because in opening Night Live, we got the Halo Infinite release date confirmed after what looked like some leaks were, were pretty relevant. Leaks, of course, by Microsoft's own stores in, in certain regions, but the Halo Infinite release date is officially December 8th, 2021 that is december 8th 2021 so it will miss the anniversary mark uh of the 20 year anniversary however microsoft has uh some cool stuff for the anniversary there coming out and we'll talk about that in a moment uh and it also misses that sweet november release timing uh that would allow for black friday now i will tell you this date is kind of cool. I kind of like it. I've had to stew on this for a bit and contemplate where I felt about it. Um, but after several days of thinking over it, I like this release date for a couple reasons. First, it allows some of the bigger titles, Rip Dying Light 2, sorry guys, uh, some of the bigger titles of this fall to get out there, let people have their experiences with it. Uh, and then just prior to the holiday season, we're able to have this big Halo Infinite drop, including a multiplayer that's free to play. A lot of kids will get off school to be able to jump into uh, this kind of hype train, and that's a key element to Halo's future is kind of grabbing that younger demographic that Call of Duty, Fortnite, uh, and dare I say Destiny have been snagging into. Uh, I like this release date because not only does it kind of give time for those games to already come out. It also gives as much time as possible for those developers to continue that polish. We know that this game is coming in hot despite the year release date, and my eyebrows certainly do raise. I was not concerned when they delayed it a year. I was actually very pleased. I wasn't even terribly concerned when I saw that they were going to be excluding campaign co-op from the game at launch because I saw the roadmap. It's a live service model. They're still going to be delivering a multiplayer experience that many people were very high on after the technical preview. Uh, and we know we're going to get a single player campaign and they're trying to focus on Chief here. We also know that in setting up this platform, we will get more stories of a sort uh, to come out down the line. So while it is a big blow for Halo that they don't have campaign co-op, I wasn't necessarily concerned. The December release date does make me raise eyebrows, though, and it is kind of a third red flag for me uh, in that, man, this game must be coming in hot. Joseph Staten certainly reworked a lot of things with the, the Infinite uh, game. We know that they've really worked to improve a lot of things, and there's going to be a lot of features missing that are coming to this live service platform that 
we might have expected in a Halo release date, or sorry, a Halo release uh, some years ago in the Xbox One and 360 generations. The game's coming in hot, and I think there is plenty of room for caution with Halo Infinite if you are skeptical as to whether or not they'll be delivering a top-tier product that is certainly understandable. I I am with you on that, not because it's 343. I think a lot of those people that are going after 343 are being childish and t- childish and inflammatory. 343 has proven time and again that they are very talented and good at what they do. It was a matter of focus. Uh, but for a December release date's late to, to, to land in there, and you know that they have promised 2021, particularly when the game's already been delayed for a year and is missing features. That said... Uh, much of this judgment should be reserved a bit before the game comes out, and we should be playing more betas, uh, see some more campaign closer to launch when the time comes, uh, and then judge it for ourselves. And this is the same courtesy that we should be extending to any AAA game that has gone through development issues. And you should think about, for comfort's sake, Red Dead Redemption 2, The Last of Us, Last of Us 2, uh so I'm thinking here, God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, Arkham Knight, uh, all these big AAA games that are really well regarded that have lots of modes and features and then get expanded upon after launch. There's a lot to be added there, and, and we can take comfort in that. Still, no reason not to be raising eyebrows at this. It is a bit odd. That said, I do like this release date. I comfortably can say I like this release date of December 8th. Uh, prior to holiday, a lot of lot of benefits to that release date, but uh, certainly understandable if anyone is cautious there. Now, in this opening Night Live presentation, Joseph Staten went out there. He explained uh, a couple things kind of in that realm, but really he took the focus to the Halo 20th anniversary, the launch of the first Halo, and how Microsoft and Xbox would be celebrating it, and they're doing it with two limited edition pieces of hardware. The first being a Series X limited edition console that is absolutely gorgeous. 550 bucks includes a copy of Halo Infinite. I saw that being misreported in a few places. You do get a digital copy of Halo Infinite. Uh, this thing is gorgeous, customized to sweet to to sweet uh, different Halo Infinite features. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I loved it. I could not justify to myself, to my family, or to anybody else to to try and seek one out for 550 bucks when I just got a Series X last year. Um, it it would be great as a luxury, but there's so few Series Xs out there that I guess on the moral high ground of me was saying, hey, save your money, let other people find this one. Uh, and, and let those consoles go out there, and they are very, very limited. I will say to all of you who are listening, if you are able to avoid scalpers, do so. Do not let scalpers take advantage of you. You can still play plenty of games without the decals uh, on there. I know it, it, it's a collector's item, and I understand that, but don't let anyone take advantage of your money on that. Now, the piece of hardware that I did purchase and was able to get a pre-order on, and I do feel fine about, is a Halo Infinite controller that is an Elite Series 2. Now, these are 200 bucks. They're expensive little bad boys there. Elite Series 2 controllers, which I know many people have had concerns and issues with, but to date, after, gosh, since 2018, I've had my Elite 2? Maybe 2019? I can't, I don't remember exactly. Um, but I, whenever the Elite 2 came out, I got one, and it has not broken on me yet, knock on wood, and it has been wonderful. Well, this Halo Infinite version is just absolutely gorgeous. That customizable round deep, customizable round d-pad is that perfect spartan gold there's a spartan green in there uh, some really cool features on there that just uh, it spoke to me and i was fortunate enough to 
purchase one or pre-order one, I should say. I texted my wife and I said, babe, you have purchased me a birthday present. Thank you so much. It's just what I wanted. And she responded back, I have good taste. And I said, man, that's why I married this woman. She is amazing. Uh, I think both these pieces of hardware are wonderful. They do a lot to help celebrate Halo. Uh, I've got a lot of different pieces of Halo memorabilia ordered. I've been... Uh, <laughs> I've been working overtime, I guess you would say, to make sure I can continue to celebrate Halo in the way that I want. Um, but but so it goes. I think these are two good-looking pieces of customizable stuff. Uh, Microsoft has revealed several kind of special edition controllers of late, including some about Forza Horizon 5 uh, that, that got shown during their Gamescom stream, which looks great. And these go beyond the standard uh, Design Lab-style controllers. I was really impressed with that Elite 2 controller. The Series X, I would want it for posterity's sake, but I didn't think it looked like God-tier level design the way the Elite 2 did. Um, but man, oh man, Halo fans rejoice. There's a lot to be happy about this year. The game that we want has been given a lot more time to be developed. Uh, here's hoping it launches well, that people enjoy it. I genuinely, without exaggeration, want Halo to be back in a way that it deserves to be back. There's a lot of ways to enjoy Halo. Single player, multiplayer co-op, competitive co-op, uh, competitive play, uh, PvE play. There's a lot of go stuff going on there. And there's a lot of asks being given about Halo Infinite, but my, my best goes out to that team, uh, and quite separately, my best goes out to those involved in designing promotional materials, because all things considered, they've done a great job there. Um, Matt from Assemble wrote in kind of on this topic, and he said, with the release of the Halo controller and the Aqua Blue and the Forza Horizon, do you think we see a trend continue uh, and what controllers do you want to see next? Um, Matt, I, I absolutely think we will continue to see a trend of special edition controllers, particularly given that consoles are in such short supply. Of course, they had to celebrate Halo, but consoles will likely not get true special editions for a little while. Um, pandemic, chip shortages, any other material shortages, whatever reasoning you want to point to, it's harder to get a console special edition versus a controller. And I think you'll continue to see controllers that uh, celebrate certain franchises. They seem to sell well. They seem to be very popular. They're very easy for people to take pictures of and share and generate hype for a game or franchise. Um, I know I have a few controllers. Uh, I have the Gears 5 controller. I have the Xbox Duke controller that Hyperkin put out. I have my Day 1 Series X controller that's never been used. Uh, my Elite 2. I... I I understand why people collect and, and show them off, and I, I subscribe to that. I will no longer be buying regular controllers. I will say that uh, I'm. I have the two ver two copies, two Aqua Blues, or two, not two Aqua Blues, two of the Sonic the Hedgehog looking blue ones that came out kind of at the launch. I've been using one. The other one's still in its box. I don't know. Maybe I should do a giveaway for something uh, with it or something like that. But uh, either way, I, that's just sitting there, and I'll be buying special edition ones from here on out as they pertain, you know, like as they're relevant to me. I, I, a Gotham Knights one might be the way I go there, but yeah, I think we'll see this happen for a long time because they're good money makers for sure. But good question. Um, they need to do another Sea of Thieves one. I'll say that. Celebrate those franchises, guys. Celebrate them. Opening Night Live included several other announcements. More coverage, of course, on Age of Empires 4, which is still Age of Empires, despite its really impressive showing there. Cheers to anybody that's rocking that. Far Cry 6 was, of course, on display. More coverage of Call of Duty Vanguard. Um, despite the ongoing allegations with Activision, they are plowing through. I did notice that on several of the marketing uh, materials, they removed the logo of Activision Presents and shifted it to Call of Duty Presents. That's a 
it looks like a damage control thing given the the hostilities that many people were encountering in the workplace at Activision Blizzard and a few other places around Activision. Uh, those ongoing lawsuits and litigation are still there. Um, but Vanguard seems to be getting rather tepid response thus far, and perhaps it's just my timeline, which of course is isolated to people I follow. Um, but most people I'm seeing are not overly thrilled by Vanguard. Uh, it doesn't seem to be all that exciting. I wonder if the launch of Cold War in the state that it did didn't do some damage to the Call of Duty brand in a way that we weren't ready for. Uh, and then, of course, in social media, the general vibe is pretty negative towards Activision. You have to wonder, though, if that really translates to mass sales or if that's just kind of our niche platform in an echo chamber. Uh, I don't really know. We won't really know. Um, but in large part, people don't seem to be as thrilled for Vanguard as I would have expected for a Call of Duty, and it could just be the changing times. Uh, let's see here. The Saints Row reboot was officially announced. We'd seen teases several times before, but Opening Night Live included a trailer uh, for the official reboot. A lot of people excited about this. A lot of people pretending they were best friends with the original Saints Row games, and they absolutely loved it back then. I don't know that that was initially true. Uh, I've seen Saints Row be really serious all the way through to the ludicrousness of Saints Row 4. Three was, of course, I feel the peak, and I think many other people do. But I'm glad Saints Row is back. I enjoy the competition in the open world space, and here's hoping it lands and lands well. Because they have a pretty darn good, good uh, chance at hitting and hitting well. So hopefully that that uh, is something that more people are excited for. I'm curious to know when it actually takes place. There, of course, uh, there is a release date for Saints Row. It's in 2022. I want to say February has become very crowded. February 2022 has got a lot of games releasing there, but, uh, you know, what is a reboot? We'll see what the reboot really brings forth. Uh, I have questions. I have questions. Not not any con condemnations, just questions. Uh, let's see what else is on the docket. Of course, we've got uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns. This one surprised me, and it also had a super dope rendition of Enter Sandman uh, from Metallica that was kind of going along with it. But this is a Marvel game by the developers of XCOM that is going to be a tactical RPG. The artwork looked incredible. They combined several Marvel heroes that you haven't had a chance to see intermix except in video games of late. We're talking about like Wolverine, Iron Man, Blade, and Ghost Rider kind of all being together. Honest to goodness, there is a, a woman that there that is in the center of this group. It looks like she's holding two swords, but I do not know which character it is. Um, this game is set to come out in March of 2022. Uh, and I, I was really impressed, impressed rather, with the cinematics. Very excited for it. The cinematics and the sound and the, and the visuals were awesome. We saw no gameplay at the time of this recording, although it is expected soon. I was excited because I love superhero games, right? Like, I'm still playing Avengers. I'm looking forward to Gotham Knights like crazy. I'll probably, you know, hate myself and try the Guardians of the Galaxy game. I don't know. Square Enix has not earned a lot of goodwill for me with their handling of several things, including Avengers. But uh, I like superheroes, right? So Marvel, Marvel Midnight Suns is absolutely on my radar. Though, to be fair, tactical RPGs in those sense are not really my jam. I prefer kind of... Um, Halo Wars style uh, games, which are eluding me at live strategy, live strategy, strategy games, real-time strategy games. There we go. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how Marvel Midnight Suns go. I can tell you what, the visuals look awesome. That's for sure. Uh, Far Cry 6 got some more showcases. Horizon Forbidden West got a release date, which is really cool. Uh, you got to say Horizon Forbidden West being released kind of next year is good. Uh, we, we talked about this. this is, we, we already knew the release date, I should say, but... 
this is exciting for me because uh, it gives them time to finish a great game. It also makes way for the end of the year. Third-party titles and Halo Infinite kind of have their time in the sun, uh, and it makes for a stacked 2022. Uh, but that got some more showcases there. Uh, one other one other kind of thing I thought was interesting uh, was the reception to, or rather the seeing of Crossfire X. Not the reception, the seeing of Crossfire X. This game is still set to be coming out in 2021 they are sticking to it there's no release date we haven't seen what uh remedy's doing with that single player you have to wonder what's going on with the multiplayer of that game how that will stand next to call of duty next to battlefield 2042 next to halo infinite oh man god bless crossfire x if that had come out this summer we'd all be playing it i think but uh that window might be gone last thing oh, oh last thing that i was really cool on uh the Ninja Turtle game, Shredder's Revenge, coming to Xbox. Coming to Xbox. Very excited about that. Uh, was not initially going to be coming to Xbox. It was a Switch thing. But, uh, you know, here we go. Here we go. All right. No pause in this. I'm still rolling here. The extended showcase that Paris Lily hosted that w- was before opening Night Live, but would have been really cool if it had been after, I think, had a lot of cool stuff happening in it. There was a lot of good kind of reveal there. We saw more of Dying Light 2, which... Oof, poor Dying Light 2, December 7th, the day before Halo Infinite. Uh, I hate that because it's like Dying Light's return to glory, and I know that PR team is working really hard there. Uh, I hate that for them. That said, uh, cool to see s- some more showcases there. That game seems to be shoping, show, showing, shoping, showing, uh, shaping. That's the word I wanted. Shaping up rather well. Uh, I like that. Dying Light is one of those beloved... I would, I would argue it's a cult classic, despite its kind of revitalization. Um, not as many people dove in on Dying Light as perhaps could have, uh, including me, although I do own the Platinum Edition. Uh, I've played a bit of it. It's really good. It's a really good game. Really good game. Uh, and Dying Light 2 looks dope. So that's cool. I'm sold on that one. I just don't know that I'm sold to play Dying Light 2 when Halo Infinite's out. You know what I mean? Ugh, sorry for that, guys. Uh, Forza Horizon 5 got more gameplay and a new controller, which we talked about. That was cool. State of Decay 2. Now, State of Decay 2, I don't know how many people are still playing it. I know that they just hit a lifetime goal uh, or a lifetime player count of 10 million. Dope. State of Decay 2, one of my favorite zombie games of all time, if not my favorite zombie game of all time. I love State of Decay 2. They're getting a new expansion and a big one. It's a whole new mode, uh, a whole new thing. It's, on, it's coming out on September 1st, so by the time this episode is out, it'll, it'll probably be, be there. Um, man, Dying Light 2, not Dying Light, State of Decay 2, props to that team for the work they're doing. We know they're working on State of Decay 3. They're still providing content to their players in State of Decay 2. They're testing out stuff uh, in 2 that are going to go into 3. I'm in on this. If you have not played State of Decay 2 with friends... That's the way to do it. I love it single player. That was my favorite way to play it. But with friends, you are in The Walking Dead, the cool version of Walking Dead, not when it went on for too far and too long, but in the cool modes of Walking Dead. And I loved it. So you should absolutely give that game a look uh, if you have not already. I will be checking out this new mode um, sometime this fall. It comes out on September 1st. I know I'm swamped with school stuff, uh, but at some point I'll be getting to it. Uh, We also saw that Flight Sim's getting competitive multiplayer of a sort, which is really cool. Uh, Cheers to Humble Games, who is now kind of partnering with Xbox and releasing games into Game Pass, which is really neat. There was an educational video uh, that was just kind of dropped in there about a game, gaming, like education stuff that was just so awfully paced. I don't even want to talk about it, but cool educational stuff Xbox is trying to get happen, but nobody cared. 
because it was in the middle of a Gamescom stream, and that was weird and odd and didn't need to be there. But the big news, the big thing that everybody needs to take note of is the fact that Cloud Gaming, xCloud, is now coming to Xbox One, meaning that you can play games that are future slated for Xbox Series S and X, Gen 9, you'll be able to play those games via the cloud on Gen 8 systems. This is absolutely huge. I have a good friend of mine, Matt. I don't know if you're listening, but cheers to you. Matt really wanted to play Microsoft Flight Simulator. He has an Xbox One, not a Series X or S. Matt will be able to do that now. He'll be able to play Flight Simulator without spending 400 bucks to get a Series S plus Game Pass or whatever, without spending 500 bucks plus Game Pass or the, or the game to play Microsoft Flight Simulator. He can just get Game Pass on his one, and he's good to roll. I'm sure there'll be some fidelity issues here and there, but xCloud has come such a long way. A few weeks ago, I talked about being in an airport and playing Halo 5 in an airport. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. I'm so thrilled for the idea that cloud gaming is becoming a thing uh, and providing options. This is absolutely the way of the future. I want to know how this works out. If you, later on this November, December, whenever this lands, are playing on your Xbox One with xCloud, I want to know about it. I want to know about load times. I want to know about uh, fidelity. I want to know how easy it is to get it rolling in there. I'm so interested in this. This is absolutely the wave of the future because we are not far away for where on my mobile device, I'm in and out of Xbox without a big deal at all. Those streaming sticks, they're going to happen. It's going to be so cool. This is big, big news. Now, Todd Oxter wrote in and he said, with Xbox streaming to consoles, uh, it seems like we'll be getting a lot of Xbox streaming announcements this year at CES for TVs and other devices. Do you think we'll be getting Xbox streaming tier that is just for streaming customers to grow the service and hit their growth targets? That's an interesting question. I would imagine that for the short term, Todd, they're going to confine this to Game Pass Ultimate and continue to let Ultimate be their thing. Right, Ultimate's their moneymaker, the way it needs to happen. But in future, perhaps not this year, but next, you will absolutely see bundles of, you know, buy this TV and get Game Pass for a year. Buy the, and you'll have embedded Game Pass or Xbox apps on TVs uh, with higher, higher perpetuity than you currently do now. I had to find that word in my brain. Um, the, the tiers that you are talking about are coming in the future years. I just don't think we're there yet. Right now, it's a matter of adoption. We don't know. We would guesstimate that there's 30 million Game Pass users um, based on the most recent numbers and the accelerated trends at which people were adopting it, but that's unproven. At last official count, we, there was 24 million, and that was many months ago. So the more they can kind of reach out and get up to that, that coveted 50 million mark, they're going to do it. They're going to find ways to do it. But the tier system might confuse customers. We'll see. We've seen them make blunders before. For God's sakes, they tried to raise the price of Xbox Live Gold. So silly. Um, but, I mean, we've also know that within Xbox, there were plenty of people who were in dissent for that and figured it out. So, you know. Uh, good question, though, Todd. Good question. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I'm looking through my notes here for... The Gamescom stream that, that Mr. Lilly hosted. Midnight Fight Express looked really cool. Um, I am interested in that multiplayer mode of Flight Sim. Again, I, that's not a game for me, but I'm interested in well enough of it. Uh, yeah, yeah that's it. Those, those are kind of the two big things of the week. A lot to cover in that, uh, which is kind of cool, right? To get a, little, a good old heavy news week and it all be 
pretty darn decent, all things considered. That said, again, pacing and the reception of that showcase was frustrating, but uh, I think it was a good showcase in hindsight after the fact if you didn't watch it live. Before we get to reader mail, we have a, a couple good questions that we've not gotten to just yet. I do want to note that I've been playing two games a lot of late. Hades, uh, which went into Game Pass a, a few weeks ago. I am still stuck on that game. I freaking love it. Love it, love it. I can't beat the the third boss area where there's two bosses at once. I'm still struggling with that one, but I love this game. I understand why there was so much hype. This would be, if it was available or able to be included, this would be on my game of the year list, which at present uh, includes Death's Door. It includes Hitman 3, and I think that's it. Isn't that is that it for like the big titles for this year? Not a lot happening. We're kind of looking towards the back half of the year for, for Xbox games to be kind of available for game of the year who knows right i did see people were <laughs> i saw when psychonauts 2 released which by the way psychonauts 2 getting great reviews uh multi-platform game now owned by xbox developers yada yada um really great reviews people are very excited about psychonauts i saw people before psychonauts was out and before like they, they did not play it these weren't like reviewers they were saying psychonauts 2 was their game of the year and i see people saying that halo infinite's their game of the year they've never played it I don't understand that. Like, I understand the excitement for it. I understand saying, oh, I hope it's my game. I'm so excited. This is going to be awesome. But, like, you've never played it. How are you rating it on Metacritic under user reviews or anything else? It just, that kind of stuff, man. I, I can't get behind it. It's so dumb. I'm calling out Gaz from Game On Daily for this one. He was, he was, uh, Gaz, you're soft stick. I don't like it. I don't like it. Fight me. Um, he, <laughs> he was, there's, the, so the PS5 got, like, an update or something where now it runs five degrees hotter. Man, if the Xbox Series X got an update and it ran five degrees hotter, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't care. Who cares? Like, it's not melting. It's not overheating. This isn't anywhere a concern at the moment, right? Like, these are not issues that these consoles have. Um, And I saw people just flipping out to be angry about stuff. And I don't understand looking for things to be angry about. It's clout chasing and it's silly and um, I'm well aware. I've actually had this conversation. These These were private questions asked privately, so I won't share who asked them, but I got several DMs from people asking why I don't jump into those discussions more, because it will raise my viewer and listener count. Man, I don't care about those things. Like, I I want more people to hear XEP. We're on episode 97. I want people to check this show out and love it and enjoy it, but I also don't want people arguing in my timeline over five degrees of a PlayStation or Xbox thing. I don't want people arguing in my timeline about which version of a game has better frames like i don't care i want to have fun and play stuff and it's just i know i'd have more uh what you might say engagement if i said inflammatory things but i just don't care it's not it's not what i want to do i want to have fun like one one of the games the games i want to talk about apart from hades aliens fire team I'm playing Aliens Fireteam Elite. Uh, we were provided review codes, to be clear. But I'm playing that with Mr. Badbit, my buddy Kev. And this is one of the most fun games I've played this year. It's janky. It's got tons of problems. It's pure double-A goodness. I'm having so much fun. Man, if I cared about the frame rate and worried about dropping a frame here and there, I would be so miserable worried about that instead of just living the dream playing through Aliens, shooting Aliens, having a cool time in that world. And that's just what I do with it, man. Like, real talk. That's what I love about video games is I just go into these worlds. And if I can, if it helps me enjoy a game like Aliens Fireteam, which is really fun, then I'm going to do that. 
And, uh, you know, I talk a lot about Avengers. Man, I know this. That game's got so many problems. But I get to fly around as Iron Man. I'm freaking T'Challa jumping around Wakanda and doing all these dope moves. That's what I'm having fun with, right? I'm ready to shoot some zombies and back for blood. I'm ready to, to drive a car on a volcano in Forza Horizon 5. And I'll be darned if I care about... Uh, what frames per second I'm at if the game runs well. Like, who cares? I don't care if it drops a frame here and there. I don't care if the system runs a little warmer or cooler. Uh, I just want to have fun with this stuff, you know? Like, that's that's where I'm at. I, Yeah, I mean, I, again, 97 episodes in, I hope that's obvious at this point. That's where I'm at. Um, nobody should be in my timeline bashing PlayStation. That's not how I roll. I'm not interested in that. PlayStation's dope. It's got tons of cool stuff. I wish we had a God of War or a Spider-Man, right? Hopefully they're on their way. But, like, I love Gears and Halo and Forza. You know, I'm really looking forward to a lot of what Xbox is bringing. So it's an Xbox show for a reason. I love Xbox, but uh, not at the expense of other things. And I hope you guys share that. All right. All right. All right. That's enough waxing poetic about that. Famous Seamus says, with fall coming up, what are some games you are looking forward to? Man, oh, man. How, where to start? Halo Infinite, of course, is, is top of that list. I'm very interested in uh, Crossfire X more because I just want to know. I just want to know where Crossfire X is landing. Uh, I did mention War for Wakanda and Hades and Aliens Fireteam. Those just came out, but those are games that I was just really excited about and I'm in on. Uh, morbid Curiosity for Guardians of the Ga Galaxy and Battlefield. I really am curious about those games. I would not say I'm excited for either at this point. I was really stoked for really stoked for Battlefield, and then I, I kind of saw what I saw, people leaking out footage from that closed alpha which is a shame um but that closed alpha really didn't look good really didn't look good it's not a it's not released footage though once that kind of goes public i'm sure we'll people will we'll talk about it but i was not in that alpha and i didn't play it so you know maybe maybe i'm wrong on that one for sure uh what else am i looking forward to i think that's kind of it and the anacrusis i'm interested in rift breaker is another one i'm interested in granted i've, I've talked to the developers for both of those games uh they've been on the show before but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to there. Uh, next one. Next question. Last question. Let's do last. Let's do one more. I'm going to wrap up here. Uh, Dano wants to know, have you ever been shocked by someone saying they've never played a certain game or franchise? Which game was it? Dano, I've been thinking about this. I am my buddy Kevin, one of my best friends. He's not into the Arkham games at all. Hasn't finished them. Same with Mr. Badbit. And these are kind of two of my closest gaming buddies. And they're not really into the Arkham games, and that confuses me because they both like comics, they both like third-person action, and and those games are all of that. I, as a diehard Batman fan, it it surprises me um, that anybody wouldn't want to play Arkham, but you know, like so it goes. Uh, yeah, that that's I'm surprised they're not into those games. Um, when people tell me they've not played God of War, but they have a PlayStation, that's really surprising to me. God of War is the best game ever made. Um, beyond that, I don't think there's a lot of I don't think there's a lot of uh, yeah, there's not a lot. There's not a lot past that. I don't think I I think about those kind of stuff or those kind of things. Hmm. Mm. Alrighty, guys. I think that's gonna do it for this episode with me. But of course, we have the interview with Ronimo Games and the Blightbound developers. Blightbound uh, came out earlier this August, I believe. Uh, maybe maybe late July, but early August. Uh, it's available now. You guys can listen to the developers talk about what they did wrong in that game, things they're really proud of in that game. I want to give a shout-out to all of you who have listened to the most recent interviews. Uh, the Mayhem Brawler developers were ecstatic that so many of you reached out to them. That was really cool for me as a content creator to know that um, you know six and seven people 
to me. You know, we're, we're reaching out to them because of the interview here. That makes that makes me feel good, um, for sure. Uh, so thank you guys to those of you that reached out to you know Heroic Concept for the the Mayhem Brawler interview. I, that game is really fun for sure. Um, I have several interviews coming up, including one that's secret. Um, one that's secret, and then one that's not secret uh, with Kritzia Bios. She, Bios, Bios. Uh, Kritzia is is just incredible. She's a voice actor in so many games that when you look up her IMDb, it's nuts. We also know about several games she's working on that are coming out, including Gotham Knights. I have that interview recorded. Uh, that'll be in the or on September thirteenth. And then next week, you are with uh, Apogee Entertainment, and they've kind of rebirthed as well. If you didn't check out last week's episode with Player One Podcast, that is a great one. I hope you guys enjoy that one. I'm sitting on 69 iTunes reviews. Who uh, would love to get to 75 before episode 100? We're at episode 97 now. And I think I'm supposed to tell you to smash the bell or whatever on YouTube. Nah, it's whatever. Appreciate you guys all listening. Enjoy this Blightbound interview. Much love. Take care, everybody. Alrighty, guys, I am very fortunate now to welcome Neil and Lawrence from Ronimo Games here to talk about their latest release, Blightbound. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Glad to be on. Yeah. I'm th- thrilled to have you guys. I was just booting up Blightbound this morning, checking out quite a bit of that uh, that dungeon crawler, I suppose, and it was a, is a good old time there. But before we get to Blightbound, I would love to know a little bit about the history of Ronimo Games uh, and, and just kind of the origins of your studio leading up to now. Uh, so we're Ronimo Games. We're indie Dutch developer based in the Netherlands. In Utrecht, which is uh, about half an hour, 20 minutes from Amsterdam. Uh, originally, Ronimo was founded by the seven founders who were all students at the Utrecht University of the Arts. Uh, so yeah, Ronimo was founded in on 1st of March 2007. I, th- I think there's a, there's a b- dispute between when Ronimo was founded because the official date and the founding date and the date that we signed for the company to be founded were apparently all different. So, but you know, that's, uh, that's, that's the standards of, uh, well, not standards, but the, that's something for the, for the original owners to, to, to talk about. Uh, Ronimo stands actually stands for robot, uh, ninja monkey. I, I still don't know if that's cool by 2007 standards or, <laughs> or 2021 standards but yeah um like i said we're currently we have i believe 18 developers mm-hmm. uh we usually have uh two to four interns as well but right now uh we currently don't have any, any interns uh but during the peak of Blightbound, i believe we had around mid mid to late 20s number of uh number of devs um yeah right now 18 and I think student. actually, if I may interrupt, please uh, go ahead, Lars. If we include interns, uh, mid blightbound, we uh, had more uh, developers. I think we actually had close to around thirty, including uh, interns. Yeah, which That's is cool. uh, which is really 
which is a lot for Ronimal standards. I, I remember because as a as, as an indie, where where you know this is this is cheesy and you know we're more like a family than than a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, every lunchtime, uh, we would actually have lunch together. But during uh, the peak of Blightbound, like we we had a huge table where we would sit, you know, eighteen to twenty five people. But during the peak of Blightbound, we actually had too many people in the studio uh where we couldn't all sit together and have lunch together uh so we kind of had to change that into like a roll in roll out cafeteria style for for lunch uh but now you know now because of the pandemic we're all working from home but after the pandemic we're very much looking forward to you know having having two people set the table for lunch and then honking the very obnoxious lunch horn to signal <laughs> to everyone go go and have lunch now together that uh, is the you... most charming thing to think about the idea that an indie studio has a lunch bell and you guys ring it and then you all gather around a big old table that sounds it sounds awesome hey it's a it's a giant table it's I'd really say it's is like, awesome yeah i'd say it's like probably 10 meter plus uh probably yeah, yeah or longer it's than, like easily, a giant yeah. yeah it's a giant picnic table um Usually, also after hours, we sit around at the same ta- very same table, play D and D, board games, uh, you name it. Also during lunch, like somebody boots up a switch and we play, for instance, Mario Kart. Yeah, uh, on uh, on Thursday evenings before the pandemic, we uh, a few of us would stay around and have dinner together as well. And like Lawrence says, then D and D or uh, or board yeah. games afterwards. See, that to me is the coolest part about about game development stories, hearing about the little things that the team does outside of working time. Uh, and it's cool to know that, that it wasn't, uh, maybe I'm misreading, but that it wasn't all work all the time, that you guys were able to have fun and enjoy each other. Do you, do you think that's a, a, a fair approximation of Ronimo? Uh I started at Ronimo in 2018, and during my in and during my as an intern, I think Lawrence also started as an intern. But uh, and I'm not Dutch myself, but almost all my colleagues are, and we have a very strict divide between work and not work times. So mm-hmm. if it's past six o'clock, my colleagues would come up to me when I was an intern and tell me to stop working, and then start doing other things <laughs> and enjoy quote unquote enjoy myself. Uh, and I'd be like, oh, I just need to finish this one thing. They'd be like, oh, bah, 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 bah. no, no, close, close the, close the, <laughs> close everything. It's no longer work time. That's cool. I feel, That's I feel cool. that that bit is even harder nowadays with uh, working from home. So I often find myself and others where you're already after working hours and still realize you're still working. Um, is- that that imply i think that's something a lot of people have found with work work with work from home uh it feels like you can never turn off the work time because your your computer is always available to you uh have you guys been able to kind of battle through that or do you still feel like you're you're kind of at the beck and call of work from home yeah it's uh it's definitely tricky um usually uh i only have one computer right so i have to just like this corner in my apartment apartment where i usually sit down uh, play some games but now it's also my workstation so i have some files uh, laying around and also you know like uh, project related stuff on my computer and even after hours you still get 
confronted with those uh, with those things, and you usually think, okay, well, let me just finish this thing, or I would like to continue working on this. Um, so, you, in a way, keep getting reminded. What for me works is also, uh, for instance, after work, just go for a walk for a little bit to kind of mm-hmm. replicate the commute you you normally would have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like mentally, in a way, you kind of switch from work to uh, to really relaxation. Certainly. Um, yeah, there's definitely some tricks you can do. Well, let's get to Blightbound itself overall. Uh, I'm, I have my my thoughts on, on on what type of game it is, but I think it'd be great for the listeners to hear you guys describe uh, exactly what Blightbound is and, and provide, I suppose, the elevator pitch for the game. Right. the The elevator pitch for Blightbound would would be uh, it's a cooperative two point five D dungeon crawler. That that's the that's the one liner. Uh, but the you know I think Lawrence can touch on this a bit more uh, in in a bit. But uh, the core the the initial idea of Blightbound was really to that we wanted to replicate the MMO end game dungeon crawling experience without you needing to sink 120 hours into leveling yeah. up your character into to max level. Um, that's uh, that's really what we wanted to uh, replicate, create, and also uh, improve upon, uh, and uh, with uh, with Blightbound. Yeah, we uh, we uh, here at Rodemo, we uh, well, the the idea is that uh, we usually make games that are uh, accessible to a broad audience and easy to get into, and um, in a way, Awesome Notes is also an more accessible version than League of Legends. So um, the same with the uh, Swords and Soldiers. Like it's a more accessible version of a standard RTS game like StarCraft, for instance. And uh, for instance, with Blightbound, we want to make a more accessible uh, kind of uh, typical MMORPG game where you have dungeons and uh, certain uh, class trinity like you have the typical tank healer uh, damage dealer and like neil also said uh, we wanted to remove elements like uh, just leveling uh, until you get to the point where you can get to a dungeon and make it all a bit more bite-sized so dungeons mm-hmm. generally are uh, much shorter than uh, for instance dungeon in world of warcraft food um, was, so that's, was there a, uh, that's the gist please go ahead please go ahead I'm sorry oh no uh, <laughs> I was done uh, I was done with well, well what's the target time I suppose if you're trying to capture that end game experience what's the, the target time of, of a dungeon uh, in Blightbound like how long are you thinking players should, should take to go through a dungeon yeah the typical time was between 10 or 15 minutes and then 15 minutes really being on the long end Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some nuance to this. Um, some levels are a bit more linear than others, so we mm-hmm. have more uh, control over how long it would take. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are some dungeons that also have like a very big uh, boss battle uh, at the end, but maybe even like a little, uh, like a little cutscene type of uh, scenario before it, and then uh, that part alone generally takes up about five minutes which means uh, the dungeon before that can only 
the, basically the gameplay up until the boss could only last uh, ideally up to five to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, generally the idea. Uh, we would like people just to hop in, be able to play uh, a game, and then uh, after ten or fifteen minutes, uh, play another game. It was really, I-, I thought, neat that you took the kind of standard classes of characters that you might have: tank, rogue, uh, magic wielding, and such, uh, and-, and then kind of applied it to that that smaller formula of, of racking through a dungeon in ten to fifteen minutes or so. Um, what sort of balancing has to go into to those different abilities to make sure that a player can progress quickly enough, I suppose, uh, but still feel powerful? Yeah. Uh, we actually tested a lot of things uh, about this. Originally, we weren't even sure if we wanted to do the whole Trinity. Uh, Trin- Trinity being um, having a character that can only heal, having a character that can only uh, soak up a lot of hits, and a character that can dish out a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we tried out a, l- a lot of different things. For instance, uh, how does the gameplay feel like if you play with three healers, like three mages? How does it work mm-hmm. if you play with three warriors? And, uh, well, in some cases, it was kind of fun. Uh, we generally felt like it was more enjoyable if you had the whole Trinity role. Because uh, then you can go a bit more extreme to certain uh, roles. Like, mm-hmm. for instance... Um, the only way you can get healing in the game is either by picking up, picking up mana orbs or by um, the heal from the wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have items which allows you to go uh, into life stealing, but generally, like the, the wizard heal is the only big heal in the game, um, which makes that role unique in the way that uh, if people are low health, you're essentially a lifesaver. Um, the same goes about the warrior being able to uh, aggro everyone, so everyone attacks him and then negate hits, or the rogue being able to uh, weaken enemies so they take more damage. Uh, and we kind of uh, <clears throat> had a set amount of abilities that would synergize well with it uh, for every class, and then we made some variations on, on those skills and see uh, what kind of gameplay would be fun and what would be interesting. And I think also during the uh, early access development we had during Steam, we also uh, adjusted some of those uh, skills uh, according to like playtest feedback. Um, Sure. Yeah. That's kind of how we went about it. And uh, go ahead. Just to to add to uh, Lawrence's point, uh, my personal favorite part about Blightband is how much customization you can have on your characters uh, with with items. So Lawrence touched on how uh, you know the real the 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 one big heal you can only get from the mage, but you can also, for example, as a warrior, you can uh, equip lifesteal item uh, items that grant you lifesteal. So personally, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not that good at video games. So when I when I play as a warrior, uh, I try to essentially become as small of a liability to my team as possible. So mm-hmm. I would build my warrior with a lot of life steal, with a lot of uh, uh, defense buffs, where I could uh, 
I could essentially uh, just spend rage points, which is a resource I get from blocking uh, uh, blocking damage, and turn that into life steal. So I wouldn't require as many heal resources from our mage uh, when when I play as the as the warrior. And if you're, you know, I think Lawrence has has done lots of really really cool builds. If you want to be, a, I think he, one one of the builds he did for for one of the warriors is literally a glass cannon build where you can essentially one shot elite enemies, but mm-hmm. you you just fall over if there's a strong gust of wind. <laughs> Well, all, actually, all damage, no defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, also on the uh, contrary of that, uh, you can also have a rogue, which can uh, kind of forego the damage roll and go fully into uh, tanking mode. Uh, the only downside is that you cannot actually have aggro. <coughs> aggro being that enemies would attack you instead of uh, the the tank, for instance, because. Mm-hmm. For instance, one of the characters, uh, Triss, has a passive ability whenever you deal a damage over time effect, like a bleeding effect, mm-hmm. you heal for a percentage of your maximum health. So, uh, actually, during the launch of Early Access, that was one of the best characters <laughs> because people would just play Triss and build a bunch of health uh, items that would cause bleed effects. Uh, and then you also had different items that every time you would gain health uh, by healing effects, you would gain maximum health, mm-hmm. which resulted in pretty much infinite healing, pretty much infinite health. And uh, yeah, it's kind of funny that you can build like all these different things. And even if a class is specific to a certain role, like, oh, hey, I can only deal damage, like I'm the, the rogue, you can still, uh, there's still nuance to that. Like there's still characters that kind of like try to break these rules. Uh, and allow players for uh, further customization. One of the things that stood out to me uh, immediately upon seeing the game, both when I played it and, and in watching videos, uh, is this art style that seems to augment a lot of the the different like building of characters. I feel like magic seems to stand out really well. Different types of uh, attacks just glow throughout the world. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the art for the game and just uh, how you guys settled on the visual style for Blightbound. So uh, we always aim for our games to look like they are hand-drawn, whether if it's Awesome Mortals, the Swords and Soldiers series. Uh, and uh, for Blightbound, uh, a lot of it is also hand-drawn. hand-drawn. So we, we tend... So this is the process we our artists go through. So first we tend to do some concept art, and after that we try to paint and draw these characters straight into... Uh, screenshots so before we even have a you know have a level or a dungeon uh, we already have concept we've concepted how we want the final product to look like uh, at a very early stage of development and then this gets translated directly into parts uh, which are used for the for animating the characters so everything everything you see is drawn and painted uh, just comes to life basically uh, and all the characters and even uh, effects are, are are done this way. Uh, and we tend to aim for uh, heavy heavy inks combined with more painterly elements. Mm-hmm. And uh, and but that doesn't mean we don't use a wide array of uh, techniques and tools at our disposal to create Blightbound. Uh, the main one for Blightbound is that we project all hand drawn environment assets onto simplified 3D models to create mm-hmm. more depth 
in our visuals. Uh, and also using 3D as a base uh, allows us to use a whole range of shaders, um, normal maps and other trickery to enhance the graphics further. Um, something you can't do easily when you go for uh, hand-drawn 2D. Uh, our characters are still fully 2D, but uh, mm -hmm. they use a rigging system uh, created with our in-house engine, which we've used for all our, ti mm -hmm. our titles so far. Um, so we can repurpose animations on all our various characters. This way, we don't have to animate every single character by hand, uh, which would be almost impossible to do with such a wide roster of characters and enemies. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I can go into a bit more details. So to, to touch on the, the uh, more detailed art style, I mentioned heavy inks with uh, painterly elements earlier. So heavy inks are... Uh, for the for the listeners who uh, are, are where the the lines and the shadows are pretty apparent and exaggerated, uh, sometimes even blend into each other, and a more painterly style is where every stroke is kind of obvious, and you have a lot of different shades and colors. Uh, we try to combine the two, so you have these heavy lines and black spots combined with more artsy fartsy <laughs> painted bits. Uh, differences, a, a clear difference you can you can see in its simplest form is like comparing something drawn by a pen or pencil versus something painted with a brush. So the inks or the heavy lines give give it a quote unquote darker feel. Um, and to kind of go into what, how you know what was on the mood board for uh, in the very early days when we created Lightbound. Uh, which for listeners who have uh, who've played our other titles like Awesome Not, it's it's essentially it's really a kind of a polar opposite. So when it comes to inspiration behind the art style of Lightbound, uh, we you know on our mood board we had games uh, like Darkest Dungeon, but also a lot of the inspiration comes from uh, Mike Nola from Hellboy combined with 80s, 90s dark fantasy mm -hmm. uh, or just fantasy in general like Conan the Barbarian, He-Man, etc. Uh, we also looked quite uh, a lot into Evil Dead's aesthetic to make it a bit more gruesome. We aimed <laughs> for a bit of uh, cheesiness combined with actually uh, actual gruesome elements. So, for example, if you have like this blood fueled skeleton boss uh that could be in power rangers but also diablo as well yeah <laughs> i also say i think i can i think i see that same thing with the dismemberment as well which could be considered very gruesome but i'm seeing like arms and stuff pop off and it's almost comedic at times and other times it's it's just like very intense it's a good analogy of diablo and power rangers yeah, I, we have we have incredibly talented artists and animators in house, uh, and you know all the all the props go to them uh, for being able to to really tra uh, translate from concept to actual you know actual in game gameplay, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I think a lot of the feedback also... we get from uh, from all our games is that people really really dig the art. Sorry, Lawrence, go ahead. Uh, I wanted to go a bit more into detail with uh, the magic and fire like popping against the background. Um, it's also 
the artists use a certain contrast in animations of skills. Like, for instance, the wizard heel uh, is still within uh, the... Uh, well, let me rephrase this. <laughs> we have certain uh, colors for each class. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the wizard is kind of a blue class color. So, And that means that uh, the resources that the wizard collects are blue. The skin tone is... Uh, or, like, the, uh, the clothing he has is blue. The... Um, all the skills that, that he uses are blue. Uh, so, for instance, when you see the wizard heel, it's a blue circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that the artists have done is essentially uh, up the contrast a lot in combination with other techniques, uh, like, for instance, putting uh, a dark shadow underneath the um, uh, underneath the skill itself, like the heel, heel area. That way, mm-hmm. the contrast between the skill and actually the shadow is always uh, quite apparent uh, where, wherever you are. Um, and then for other players, because the, uh, the skill is so contrasting compared to uh, the background, it's easier to read and then also notice during fights where, oh, hey, this is like a very contrasting skill. This this is a, <laughs> a wizard heal. And then different skills, like for instance, the wizard, uh, like only spirit skill uh, is a, is a mostly a damaging skill and that's uh, that skill is not that important for other players so one of the things we did is then uh, if you're not playing the wizard so you have a wizard as a teammate then the actual skill of the only spirits from the wizard is then less contrasting so it actually plays different animation if you're not playing the wizard um, because it's not really important for you uh, to see the information that the wizard used the skill. Like, it's only important to know, like, oh, hey, he used a damaging skill, um, and now the enemies enemies would lose health, right? It's not... Uh, if you compare the damaging skill to uh, with a healing skill, like, the, the healing skills, like, a team skill, so you, you would like to know when he uses it. Same goes, for instance, with the warrior. Like, he, the warrior has a battle call skill, which increases your out attack damage and uh, uh, attack speed. That also is more contrasting in colors compared to the other warrior skills, just so it's easier to spot. And the same goes for the enemy skills. Like they're really the uh, quite damaging skills from enemies. Uh, usually have like a very bright red color. Same goes for the writhing orb. It's like the the riddle. Uh, like the car- not little. The quite uh, red big ball, uh, the mm-hmm. kind of Pac-Man enemy that uh, gets summoned by their arriving oracles, mm-hmm. uh, and it's actually it deals a lot of damage if you get uh, hit by it. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of feedback during development that players didn't uh, see the orb or see this uh, see the orb being summoned. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, there's like this. Uh, casting animation of the enemy that summons the orb, which takes about five seconds. During that animation, there's also runes that are being cast, which are like bright red runes above the enemy, and you see the same runes somewhere uh, on the ground, together with like a really flashy, uh, almost white even bright ball being summoned over time. And then at the end of the cast, then the orb is summoned, which is still 
in contrast, uh, a lot more uh, visible than other elements in the background, uh, as well as other damaging skills, because it is a more uh, a higher priority skill. So that's also uh, like one of uh, one of the uh, thoughts that go behind when uh, the artist uh, made the designs for these skills as well. How much, Lawrence, working in the design element, how much communication did you need to to go through with the art team in order to make sure that all of this came to fruition for the player? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, I think a lot of uh, the best things in the game uh, are usually made when there's a lot of communication between uh, disciplinaries. So when design talks with code and art together, usually the, the best ideas come to mind. I think initially for the uh, for the arriving orb, like the uh, the red ball of doom, uh, initially I made like a placeholder uh, enemy. And for you folks at home, a placeholder means um, basically have something arbitrary in the game mm -hmm. uh, just for the sake of it being later replaced by an actual... Uh, entity so mm -hmm. in this case i just had a big yellow ball <laughs> and uh, yeah it's uh, uh we played with that big yellow ball very long during development and uh was later when artists actually get around to uh to filling the art when when they actually come up with certain designs and then uh, usually they uh share these designs with the rest of the team um okay. People can give feedback, and it's kind of up to them whatever they do with feedback. Um, but in other times, when, for instance, designing a boss, uh, design comes up with uh, cool ideas for a boss, and then uh, we, we like fill around and prototype cool mechanics and cool combination of enemy mechanics that work really well together and interesting challenges. And then usually um, the uh, well, we rigorously playtest this, and it's always that, for instance, an artist or programmer is like, oh, it would be really cool if we have this effect to it, or uh, if the boss does this. And sometimes like the, the ideas are so cool that uh, we kind of um, make a mock-up or um, like a quick sketch of certain uh, art things uh, and implement that and see how it feels or... Uh, uh, if the certain mechanic is uh, displayed clearly enough, is it easy to understand and whatnot? Mm. Um, yeah, I think the. Uh, have you actually went to the arriving? I believe it's called the arriving oracle, like the tentacle lady with the, the that goes up in the air and casts spells on you. Have you fought that one? Not yet. Not yet. No. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, it might have been a little spoiler, but. It's I okay. think this is that that is like a perfect example of when uh, when art and design works together, because uh, there's like little cinematics in in there as well, and uh, even like the boss doesn't even uh, well essentially the boss has moments where she goes up in the air and then you have to attack different targets and these targets also highlighted. Uh, also combined with sound even so there's a lot of um, communication involved 
uh, and also a lot of paid testing. And uh, yeah, it's just if people have great ideas and and everybody's excited about it, we we just try these ideas out, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, just add something. Brilliant. That's that's awesome. That's just I love hearing about the blend and the the. Uh, the synergy, as the corporate people might suggest, <laughs> uh, between the two. Um, I think you guys have already answered this, but several listeners did write in asking about inspirations for Blightbound. One of them equating it to Dragon's Crown, which I can see the the, the you oh, know yeah. tangentially relation. But you also mentioned things like Evil Dead and Diablo at various points. What inspirations do you guys think the team uh, took from from other forms of media? Uh. So I, th- I think it's important to mention that we didn't just look at other games, but also comics, cartoons, live action series, movies, and even music videos. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that inspired us that's not just in games. Like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, 80s, 90s fantasy, Conan the Barbarian, He-Man, Fazetta, Xena, uh, mm-hmm. and also Mike Mignolo from uh, Hellboy. And but also when it comes to games, we looked at a lot of uh, we looked a lot at Streets of Rage, for example. Uh, but also Street Fighter Three's art style was a big inspiration. Um, oh, I can see that. Like I the can char- see that. It, right, yeah, because uh, the the characters have uh, such a huge depth of color and mm-hmm. a nice sim- simplicity to it. Uh, we tried to aim uh, for something similar, and also Brutal Legend was also a big inspiration. And of course, Doom Eternal for sure had an impact. Uh, and also just uh, to to also link this with what Lawrence mentioned earlier, with, uh, for example, Street Fighter 3's art style uh, with uh, where the characters have such huge depth of color. Uh, we And linking it to what Lawrence was mentioning earlier about uh, the class-specific colors, because we thought, you know, readability needs to it is very very important like getting the color palettes right for each group of characters and the skills blue for wizards green for rogues orange for barbarians as well as the enemies using mostly gray or white color combined with blue red purple which tend to range between their ranks so bosses would have more red more uh, more red colors while minions would just be blue and purple uh, mm-hmm. and you know um coming back to you know how how this needs to be uh, this needs to be very, very clear. Uh, otherwise, the game could just look like a big mess. And th- this was something we really, we thought was really important when in the early days of development. And you know that's why, for example, Street uh, Street Fighter Three's art style was a, was a pretty big inspiration. Uh, when it, especially when it comes to the depth of color and as well as the sim- simplicity to it. Also, not even like actual dungeon in-game dungeon type of gameplay but also like the, the meta gameplay inside the refuse also took uh, a lot of inspiration from darkest dungeon and gloomhaven um for instance with gloomhaven the whole prosperity system where uh, gloomhaven is a board game essentially where you kind of do uh, uh almost the indie style uh sessions where you get loot and eventually you uh level up the town you're in uh, and then you unlock things like a blacksmith and you're able to get new items or smith stronger weapons um, that's almost in a literal sense also what we have um, as well as the 
uh, with Darkest Dungeon, not only the art style, but we also have a refuge. Initially, uh, heroes would perish by the blight if they got uh, blight struck hard enough. Like there was this perma death <laughs> mechanic for your characters, where if you die too much in a dungeon or in a period of time, then you would, characters would go insane or just uh, <laughs> totally messed up and then would wander off with, with all your loot, uh, <laughs> which was quite punishing. But there were um, mechanics in the refuge, for instance, where you could have a, a, a hosp- sort of hospital or uh, some other... Uh, I can't even recall what the places were. But essentially, uh, the characters would lose blight, so you had to treat them inside the mm-hmm. uh, hospital, for instance, uh, gather resources for other fallen heroes as well. And um, so the metagame actually uh, played a bigger role. And then we actually also tried to um, combine the metagame with more in-game things, where, for instance, in-game you might find uh, a hero that uh, was perished because he was too blightstruck or had too much blight. Mm-hmm. So maybe he now is an enemy and he's fighting against you with with the items you he previously uh, had. Or um, maybe uh, you can actually rescue him and he gets, he joins your band of heroes again. Um, yeah, we, we looked at uh, a lot of uh, different games and try to take a lot of fun inspirations from them. But uh, as I said, for instance, with the uh, what we really liked, for instance, was Darkest Dungeon and the whole like roguelike mechanics of the game. It was very apparent very quickly that a lot of players didn't like that because you really, because it's also an RPG game where you level up your heroes, you uh, craft gear for them. You really become attached to certain characters. If they then suddenly wander off uh, because you died too much, then it feels super punishing and not fun. So, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, not obviously not every idea is a, is a good idea, but uh, yeah, we... But all important to the process, I would think. Yeah, exactly. And it's good to know uh, what your strengths and weaknesses are in that regard, that you kind of build on the fun. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, a lot of, like I said, a lot of games like Streets of Rage, uh, also Double Dragon comes to mind, Dragon's Crown, um, Dark's Dungeon, for sure. Well, in my final question for you guys today, it's an unfair one. It's not fair. Are you happy with it? Are you, are you, are you happy, proud, pleased? Is there more you want to do with it? Uh, how do you feel now that the game is out? Um, I'll, I'll go fast with this. <laughs> and just like to to kind of paint a bit of a more macro picture with uh with basically working culture in the Netherlands we're mm-hmm. we're very very direct uh not just you know the studio but also just the general culture in the ne- Netherlands it's dutch directness uh, and i personally i'm i'm pretty critical about um uh, about uh what what we've done with blightbound proud of course but also very mm-hmm. critical um, it's definitely being a learning experience. And like you and Lawrence just touched on, you know, we had lots of great ideas. Uh, but at the end of the day, we didn't really keep um, the, 
the studio size and our capabilities in mind because we have an incredible amount of good ideas and we try to do as many of the ideas as possible but mm-hmm. we don't really have the scope uh or the size to maybe do all of the ideas maybe we can only do 25 percent of the ideas we we really really like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so that's something i think that's a you know scope management is something we 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 have learned uh with lightbound because you know good ideas are great and we all have good ideas we have good ideas the community has good ideas but we we can't just keep piling things on the to-do list and eventually uh it, it gets a bit overwhelming mm-hmm. i personally think lightbound is a great game uh but the with how the game with the state the game launched uh there were lots of uh bugs that slipped through qa uh mm-hmm. which uh i know as a studio where we're not happy about and we're working incredibly hard uh to rectify that um uh we for example we plan to have a patch out on all platforms before the end of this week uh for listeners this week is 2nd of august so before the end of this week hopefully by the time you're listening the game is at a much better in a much better state a much mm-hmm. more stable and you're having a lot of fun with it um so today we had a we had a pretty uh you know our producer had a very long talk with uh, with our coders to really prioritize the most important issues to 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 solve uh and what we're going to include in the patch before the end of the week that we want to push live before the end of the week um but i i mean i'm rambling a bit but to in in general i think i'm really happy with lightbound with what kind of game it is but as well as a, a more more holistic view of the kind of learning experience it's offered to the studio and mm-hmm. what uh, what takeaways we can have um from the project as a whole uh i i love the game i i it's definitely a game that that i personally dig um yeah i'll i'll let lawrence have his say mm-hmm. <laughs> what you got right. lawrence hey uh yeah so this is uh my first project that i actually worked on wow congratulations thanks thanks That's i've been cool. I actually realize now that we haven't introduced ourselves. I don't think that uh, <laughs> we <laughs> hey, can put Lawrence. it in the in the podcast description. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so I've been a designer at Rodimo Games for uh, about two and a half years now. Um, my f- very first project ever now is uh, is actually working on Playbound. Um, I've mainly worked on the hero skills and the. Uh, Actually, on pretty much all enemies as well as bosses. Um, I think the bosses specifically is something I'm I'm really uh, proud of. And just like Neil said, for instance, scope is a huge thing. Like um, it's being mentioned also at several places that, for instance, uh, it would be nice that if characters were more diverse. So, for instance, we have seven heroes per class and some heroes reuse skills but we try to still make them different uh, by the way how their uh, base stats are as well as the um, 
life goals as well as the passive. Usually the passive is actually like character of build defining and not so much the skills. And then later on, we uh, during early access, we also uh, had like order, like in development kind of skills, um, but we didn't have uh, enough resources to make them like fully functional skills. So for instance, we put a bunch of them on just weapons, which you can acquire later on. So you can actually customize some skills of your character um, or even just swap out completely with different skills uh, later on in the game. Um, and yeah, I think in general, uh, the launch with uh, like some of the crashes and the bugs um, were, could have been better. Like Neil said, we, we are working on them. Um, there's also a new patch coming, uh, with, I believe that also includes the final dungeon, right, Neil, or? Uh, we have, uh, we have, uh, I believe, uh, several patches or fixes, uh, upcoming. Right. Um, first one to hit at the end of this week. So 7th of August, uh, and we, and after the patches and fixes uh we have at least uh one more big update planned uh, which yeah. is update 1.1 with the uh, actual with new content coming yes and uh with the overall planning for blightbound uh where we're kind of keeping on we we're on our toes once we release update 1.1 uh with new content then we'll kind of uh take a step back and evaluate you know if we want to you know, well, the the preface for this is, first of all, are we happy with the state of the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're happy with the state of the game, then we'll try, we'll evaluate and think, um, do we want to work on continue working on Blightbound, and or you know decide what the what the future of the project is, and also the future you know of the of the of the studio as a whole. Uh, but update uh, update one point one should hit. Uh, I would say later this year, uh, September, October uh, this year. Maybe, later on, may, yeah. Maybe, maybe to put a date. Later. No, I mean, no, for a date. No, no, no date, date. No date yet. T T Yeah, TVZ. No need for for extra pressure of any kind there. Well, let me ask you this, guys, as we close out: Where should players go if they want to check out Blightbound? What platforms is it available on? And of course, feel free to plug your socials. Uh, Blightbound is available on PC, PS4, and Xbox One, or PlayStation and Xbox consoles, current and future next, well, I guess current gen, I guess. Current gen, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, with cross-play enabled between all three uh, platforms. Uh, we really value our, you know, we really, really value brand building and community building, and also, you know, giving back to the community. So, we have devs Deb streams live twice a week uh, on twitch.tv slash games uh, at 7 p.m. Central European time, 10 a.m. Pacific time, or I believe 1 p.m. Eastern um, every Monday and Thursday. Uh, we're at Ronimal Games on Twitter, Ronimal Games on Facebook, and Ronimal Games official on Instagram. If you'd like to see some really cool behind the scenes, uh, art 
some uh, <clears throat> some concept art we had that never made it into uh, into our games, or some uh, some skin concepts we've cooked up for our games in the past that also never made it uh, into the live game. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, every now and then we do some we do some indie dev shenanigans. Thrown, also, please check out uh, the Discord. We have a Discord server for Animal Games. And also yeah, for if... Lightbound. It's uh, a lot of fun, in my opinion, to play with friends or with randos. Uh, but in the, the Ronimo Discord, there's also a channel for Blightbound to uh, find uh, new, uh, new friends to play with, new people. And uh, yeah, it's being actively used. Uh, it's a great way, especially also cross-platform, to communicate with others. Um, so definitely check that out. And that's uh, discord.gg slash Ronimo. Yeah. Lawrence and Neo of Ronimo Games, thank you guys for joining me today. Thank you very much for having us Thank on. you much for having me. <laughs> Thank you.